Romans 8, verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we're seeing here in this passage, Paul speaks of five great truths about what God has done. Five great truths. He foreknew us, he predestined us, he called us, he justified us, he glorified us. Five great truths. And then he says, what shall we say in response to this? Simply because truth always requires a response. We don't just listen to truth and say, well, that's nice. No, it leads to something. So what should we say in response to this? And his response is then to fire out five questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him also graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who is he that condemns? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Five questions that he throws out in response to these great truths about our position, if we're Christians, our positions with God. We've looked over recent weeks at uh, the first two of those questions, and we want, want us to come today to verse 33 to questions three and four, because really they they go together. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. The theme of this whole passage is about our great security in God, but linked with that, the very real possibility, probability of suffering for him. Suffering and secure. The two things go together. Now, in these verses, verses 33 and 34, he introduces us here to a big problem that we face. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who is he that condemns? The word charge, as we would use it today, is a legal expression. 
the police may interview you, I hope they never do, but the police may interview you, and then they have to decide, are they going to charge you? And the moment you're charged, a legal process is set in motion, and the end of that process could be this second word, condemned. The start of the process, charged. The end of the process, the verdict, condemned. They're the two words that Paul is using here, and he says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If we stood back from the passage at that point, the simple answer to the question would be, plenty of people. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Loads of people will. Plenty of people will. The society that we live in is opposed to God and therefore opposed to us. Paul knew about that. He's writing to the church in Rome. The church in Rome knew what it was to suffer. Just some years previously, all the Jews had been thrown out of Rome, Christians included. And now they've come back in and Paul is writing to them. He is, though he doesn't know it, he is going to arrive in Rome as a prisoner facing charges. Before he became a Christian, of course, he was on the other side of the deal. And uh, in the early chapters of the book of Acts, we read of one young man, particularly Stephen, that was at the receiving end of that. In chapter 6, we read about, in, in verse 11, they secretly persuaded some people to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. And then in chapter 7, verse 1, the high priest asked him, are these charges true? And the outcome of those charges, Stephen condemned and stoned to death, and Paul there, approving of that whole process. Paul knew about charges. He had been on the the giving end of it and the receiving end of it. And so when he says, who will bring any charge against those God has chosen, he's not living in unreality. And so, of course, no one would. They say, of course, plenty of people will. Society is bound to bring charges. We face opposition. We face ridicule. face misunderstanding. Outright persecution. The Apostle Peter, who also knew something of this in his own experience, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, 1 Peter 2 and verse 12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Yet they will accuse us of doing wrong, whether we're not doing wrong or not. We live in a society here in Great Britain at the present time when secularism, militant atheism is on the increase. And so we face ridicule, we face prejudice. Who will bring any charge? Plenty of people. The world around us lies in Satan's power, the Bible tells us. And so inevitably there will be opposition. So, who will bring any charge? Well, it's all around us. But it's worse than that because it can also be within us. Problems inside us in our very conscience, accusing us, troubling us. Again, in Peter's first letter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, and verse, um, eight, verse 8, he says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, that's not a particularly good translation. The word translated enemy 
is an adversary in a law court. That's what the word means. So again, we're back into charges being brought. We have an adversary. We have someone who is the prosecuting counsel leveling charges against us, and he's called the devil. Well, that word is a word that in other contexts would mean someone who slanders. So we've got someone accusing us who isn't telling the truth, they're slandering. We've got that enemy, the devil, who is continually accusing. He doesn't stop. He's like a roaring lion prowling around. Have you ever seen a lion in a cage moving to and fro, prowling around? Restless. The devil's restless, continually accusing. And he accuses our conscience relentlessly, undermining our faith neutralizing our faith. So we come to pray, we, we, we come to worship, and there's that voice, who do you think you are? You, what about that you did? What about the other thing? What about what you haven't done? Accusations. And so we can come here this morning, and some are raising their hands, worshiping God, and others are just thinking, I'm no good. The accusations are there. How dare you raise your hands after what you said the other day, what you haven't done. He is relentless in it. And then there's just the people that we know. Could be our family. Could be our friends. Could be other Christians. People who know us well. And they would just say things. Maybe there's an element of control. People who just want us to toe the line. People are a bit legalistic, accusing. You call yourself a Christian? The, the four people who have been baptized this morning, an important stage in their life, the accusations will come. And it could be well-meaning family, I hope not, but friends will say, you were baptized and now you're doing that. You're going there. You're reading that. You enjoy that. Oh, Accused, accused. People who like to like to toe the line, their line. Legalists, all the time. Accusations can come, condemning criticism. Who who can bring any charge? Plenty of people can bring charges. It's all around us. Paul here is addressing then a very big problem of accusations that are around us, within us, continually against us. But in that context where he's speaking about a big problem, he goes on to speak of a very big God. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies He's echoing some words from the Old Testament. He doesn't actually give the Bible reference, but he's very clearly echoing those words. And those words are found in uh, Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 50. Isaiah 50, verse 7, the prophet says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint And I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. 
They're the two phrases, bringing charges, condemning. And notice what he says, the sovereign Lord helps me. He says it twice. And that underlies what Paul is speaking about here. The sovereign Lord. You know, your God is as big as his name. And what a name for God here. The sovereign Lord. The one who reigns over everything. Remember in Acts chapter 4, the early uh, church, they were the charge brought against them. They're causing trouble. The verdict is given. You're not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they get together and they pray. And how do they address God? Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. They said, now look at what they're saying. God is a big God. He is a sovereign God. And so Paul is saying here, this God chooses us. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? He's sovereign in this matter. And he, the Lord of all of history and all of creation, has chosen us. We are God's elect. In verse 29, it says those God knew beforehand. God looks at you if you belong to him, and he says, I know you. I know you. And he said that wonderfully before the world was made. He looked into the future, and he said to you, as it were, I know you. And he's always known us, foreknown by God. Hey, if a sovereign God has chosen us, and before time was said, I know you. He said, Rob, Elizabeth, I know you. Dominic, I know you. Megan, I know you. If that God is for us, who can bring any charge? Hey, it's futile. It's futile leveling accusations against those who are enjoying God's favor. Because God is the judge of the whole world. He is the one who says he knows us. If God is for us, who can be against us? That was the first question that Paul brings. And God is clearly for us. So we've got a perspective that looks beyond accusers, beyond the people who like to try and control us, get us to toe the line, criticize, just undermine. You call yourself a Christian? After what you said, you're doing that? And we shrivel. No, no, no. God says, I know you. I chose you. He is God. We've got a perspective that looks beyond the accusations to a sovereign God who not only has chosen us, but it says wonderfully, he justifies us. Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It is God who justifies. He chooses and he justifies. Some versions say, put put that as a question, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? God who justifies? Well, question or statement. The fact remains, it is still God who justifies. God who declares not guilty, acquitted, free to go. This is the wonderful grace of God. He is the ultimate judge. He is the one who delivers the verdict. Any prosecution comes before him, and he says, justified. Justified. Those God foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. 
you're familiar with your Bible, you know that delightful story, that wonderful story towards the end of the Old Testament in Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3. The prophet Zechariah has a vision. He's being shown things. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, and the footnote helpfully tells us Satan means accuser, Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. That's kind of our position. We come before God and the accuser is there. The accuser is there to point at things and we think, we know that's true. I'm not as good as I should be. I know I fail. And we can turn in on ourselves because the accusations stick. And God says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And then the filthy clothes taken away. I've taken away your sin. Chosen, justified. The sin is gone. We're clothed in clean clothes permanently. It doesn't change. Clothed in white, the Bible says, and the white clothes never get dirty. Justified. That's because God says so. And he's the sovereign God. He's the one who has the right to say it. And so, because we're justified by faith, Paul tells us in chapter 5, verse 1, we have peace with God. The accusations can't stick. Oh, they'll hurtle around. They don't stick. Because we know the truth, the wonderful truth. God rules over all. He's the sovereign Lord. And his verdict must stand. We've got a big problem, accusations. We've got a big God who says, I've chosen you, and I'm justifying you. And, of course, we have a very big salvation. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Verse 34 looks at the final verdict. Who is he that condemns? How can we be sure that when the final verdict comes, that we won't, to use the expression, that we won't lose our salvation? How can we be sure that we'll make it through to the end? You know, there have been some people in history who have decided they're not going to become a Christian until they are seriously old. Because the later you leave it, the less chance there is that you could lose it. Some people have actually thought like that. Of course, we don't know the day that we're going to go, so it's a high risk, a risky strategy. But the fear is, if you get saved, I mean, little Megan, start of her life, baptized today, a lifetime in front of her, how can she be sure 
that from this morning right through to the end that she'll remain true to God. Great words spoken over, as over all the others. How can we be sure? How can we be sure of the ultimate outcome? How can we be sure that we won't actually mess things up? We won't get into such a condition that we turn away and lose our salvation. Is it safer to become a Christian late in life? Well, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. This looks away from what we might do or might not do. And it looks at what God has done. And it looks at some objective facts, some historical facts, things that happen in space and time that can't be argued against and are the foundation for our confidence. Is it possible that we'll be condemned? Well, it refers here to Christ Jesus who died. Obviously, those few words, Christ Jesus who died, four little words, are shorthand for so much that Paul has been spelling out in this letter up to now. Just last week, those of us who were here were looking at those wonderful words in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He gave his son up. As we saw last week, he handed him over. Read the gospel account and you read that Judas handed him over. You read the chief priests and the elders handed him over. You'll read that Pilate handed him over. But here it says, God handed him over. It wasn't just human, be- be- human beings doing this. It wasn't just people turning against God. Oh, yes, they did, and they're responsible for what they did. But behind it all, God gave his son. God so loved the world, he gave his son. And it's God's action here. And that action, we're told, if you can remember, those who have been here back in chapter 3, And uh, verse 25, God, God presented him, this version says, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Actually, it should be translated by a rather long word, propitiation, which means God presented him as the one who bears God's anger against our sin, and God presented him to take that in our place. Complicated idea, but God's anger is against sin. And God gave his son to bear his anger, the anger we deserve so that we will never know it. He didn't spare his own son. He spared us. Spared us from ever knowing what we deserve. And Jesus suffered what he didn't deserve. Christ Jesus who died. A shorthand expression for so much. And was raised. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life. Notice it doesn't say more than that, who rose again. It says he was raised, suggesting, telling us, it's God who raised him. Had God not raised his son, then all we would know is that a good man died. Another martyr. There have been many martyrs in world history. And if, if, if the Son of God had remained in, remained in the grave, that's all we would know. A good man died, an innocent man, a man who came promising so much and it all ended so tragically, but he died so well. And he died so well saying, Father, forgive them, but he died. 
End of story. But no, it's not the end of the story. Because on the third day, the grave is empty. And no one had come to the grave and taken him out. And no one had come to the grave and raised him. God raised him. And the significance of that? Well, the death that Jesus died on our behalf has been accepted by Almighty God. And Almighty God raises his son to show we're justified. Our sin is dealt with. The penalty is paid. We are free. Christ Jesus died. More than that, was raised to life. And he is still alive. And he is alive right now. He's not just a a character in history. He is, but he's alive now because it says... He is, at, he is, present tense, at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus, no longer the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, no longer the person despised, rejected by people, dismissed as irrelevant. Now, he is in the place of supreme power. Our sovereign God is on the throne and at his right hand is our Savior. He's at the right hand of God, seated there in glory, but also his presence there does something. He, it says, is interceding for us. Not that he is continually pleading with an unwilling God to forgive us. God loves us and has forgiven us. He's not pleading with God in that sense, but his very presence there. The one who died, the one wonderfully, mysteriously, the one who is now with a resurrection body but still has wounds in his hands and in his side. He's there. The the Bible presents it, but pictures it this way, standing there like a lamb that's been slain. He's the lamb of God who took away our sin. He's our savior and he's there as our representative. His very presence guarantees your salvation and mine. He's at the right hand of God, interceding, not because he's got to plead with an unwilling God, but his very presence there guarantees we will be saved. Is there any possibility of falling away? No, because of who is at the Father's right hand. Because his very presence there is as your representative and mine. If we're Christians, he is there for us. And so we know we will be saved. We didn't achieve our salvation, he did it. And we won't secure our salvation, he did it. Who can bring any charge? Well, people will bring their accusations, but hey, the judge is on our side. The judge is the one who sent his son to take the penalty. He's accepted what his son has done and has raised him up And now our Savior, our representative, is there at the right hand of God and is there forever guaranteeing our salvation. We have a wonderful God. Can we have confidence then? Yes. But can everyone have confidence? No. Because this is not talking about everyone. It is talking about those who love him who have been called according to his purpose, those God foreknew, those God predestined, those God called, 
They're the ones who are justified. They're the ones who are glorified. The call of God still goes out to call people into this wonderful position. Four people this morning have testified the fact in different ways at different times, God came to them. Here testimonies of people growing up in Christian families. But there was a point where they had to respond. Many people don't have the privilege of growing up in a Christian family. But there has to come a time when we respond. Can, can we, if we are in Christ, have confidence? Yes, yes, yes. Do we get swayed by the accuser? Well, we may well be our conscience. Well, other people say it can well get to us. But hey, we've got to remember the facts. We've got a Savior who died, who rose again, is at the Father's right hand. We hear the accusations. Our conscience can say, yes, I'm, I am bad. But hey, God says, justified. Got to believe that. Got to take it. But is that true for everyone? No. It's all about who you know. And the question is, do you know Jesus Christ? Is he your representative? If you know him, he's there at the Father's right hand interceding for you. But the issue is, do you know him? Four people today have shared various times in different ways they came to know him. Could be there are others here this morning. You're here because you're here, but you're here because God brought you here. And a time's got to come. When you acknowledge that you dare not face a holy God without a Savior, the the good will never outweigh the bad. It just doesn't work like that. And God loves you enough to deal with your stubborn heart and to bring you here so that you can hear about his son that he gave for you. We didn't deserve it. He came. He died. He rose. He's here. Could be today's your day to say, I, I need a savior and I believe. I, hear, I believe what I'm hearing and I believe in Jesus. Let's pray.